Welcome to the People and Performance Podcast, featuring guest experts from such global brands as NASA, Salesforce, the Milwaukee Bucks, Staples Professional, IBM, Mutual of America, Zero, and Simon Sinek Inc. The show offers expert insights into the strategic capabilities and behaviors needed to grow and sustain employee performance. In this episode of the People and Performance podcast, we consider ways to connect employee performance to company performance. Listen to as we chat about ways that AI can fill some performance gaps. Hey, this is Bill Bannum. Chris and I are joined this time by Kim Tabak, a consultant helping businesses big and small across North America to leverage their number one asset, their people. Kim has over 20 years of experience designing and executing people and culture strategies for leading organizations across various industries. Chris and I hope that you enjoy this episode of the People and Performance Podcast. And if you do, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Welcome to our podcast today, Kim. We're pleased to have you here. Can you take a minute and introduce yourself Thanks so much, Chris. I'm happy to be here. So after 25 years of working in industry, I struck out on my own at the beginning of 2023, and I'm providing independent advisory and consulting services to organizations, big and small, who are focused on superpowering their number one asset, which is their people. Let's get into the meat of today's conversation, and let's start by talking a little bit about connecting employee performance to to company performance. In a recent LinkedIn post, see, we do our homework ahead of time, right? We we crawl through all of the different posts and whatnot. And and I I found this one. Uh, And in this LinkedIn post, you wrote the following. A fully transparent annual performance planning cycle is critical in building this level of connection, directly linking all employee goals, both personal and functional to the overall performance objectives of the company helps draw a direct link between the employee and the performance of said company. This connection helps employees understand how their job and their performance matters, which establishes a deeper sense of accountability and connection. Regular performance check-ins built into the annual cycle help to reinforce this connection. So my question for you on the back of that is, how did you manage these processes when you were a people leader at companies such as Deloitte and Canadian Tire and various others? And what, what would you say to those that suggest that annual performance reviews are a thing of the past, Kim? So I'd say first and foremost is we have to remember that performance reviews are a moment that matters for employees. It's one of those emotionally charged experiences that are either going to help an employee to become more connected or disengaged from their employer. Today, especially with the distributed workforce, and in case, uh, in some cases, they have little performance oversight and they don't necessarily sit next to their manager or their peers, these reviews and a formal process, in my opinion, are even more valuable than they ever were. I know that there was a time where everybody was talking about getting rid of that performance review cycle, but we need to take into account that Gen Z who have just joined the workforce and graduated in 2019 and the millennials really do crave ongoing feedback. They want to give and receive feedback and this helps them to feel more supported and appreciated at work and really does help them to do their best work. 
So just, you know, with regards to the question about performance reviews and um, my role in, in potentially even designing the performance review process at different companies, there are a couple of principles. And so the first is they don't need to be good reviews. It doesn't need to be, you know, all about sunshine and rainbows, but reviews always need to be fair and equitable. The second principle I would say when thinking about performance reviews is nothing should be a surprise. Employees should be receiving feedback when it comes to performance reviews in a timely way and not waiting until quarter end or year end to be receiving that feedback. Uh, the actual formal process is a formal way to be uh, reiterating feedback that had already been shared throughout the performance cycle. The last thing that I would say is it's not a one-way conversation. Performance reviews should be a dialogue. I have always designed performance review processes where employees have a self-assessment before the manager even reviews them. And that also helps set the manager up for the conversation, knowing how the employee is entering into the discussion. And the last thing I would just say is, let's remember everybody comes to work to perform. The purpose of the process is to reward exceptional performance and provide developmental opportunities and support in areas where performance might not be exceptional. But employees do show up every day and they want to do a good job. And keeping that in mind really changes the approach that managers will take in joining that conversation. The People and Performance Podcast, supported by Fidelo Inc., is dedicated to offering tips and expert insights into the strategic capabilities and behaviors needed to establish, grow, and measure the performance of employees. If you enjoy the show, why not subscribe and give us five stars through your favorite podcast app? I am going to switch up our, our topic just a little bit here because of the time of our, our podcast. So here's my question for you. Many companies are trying to streamline processes and reduce headcounts at the moment. What are some of the ways this can be achieved without damaging the employer brand or the overall performance levels of those individuals who stay? Yeah, so great question. Going through difficult periods like reducing staff is another one of those emotionally charged moments, not only for the employees who are being released, but also for the employees who are staying, the survivors, which goes to your question, Chris. So I really appreciate that. Employees who are not impact directly so the people who are not actually getting terminated, they are watching how their coworkers are being treated. These people are their friends. They are people that they sat side by side with, that they went out for cocktails after work potentially, or participated in a charity event side by side with. So communication is really critical uh, in ensuring that the survivors continue to feel engaged and supported. The communications need to be handled with confidentiality and respect, both with the employees who are leaving and with the employees who are staying. And there really is no such thing as over-communicating in these situations. These communications help employees understand when the change is needed to happen and um, help them to understand the business reason why the change you know, was decided. So communicating with the whole company and all of the employees to let them know why the change has been made and what the company is hoping to achieve with the changes. And the fact that, you know, to reiterate that all employees were treated with the utmost of respect will go a long way. I would say that giving employees space to ask questions, the employees who are the survivors, 
to ask questions about, you know, more about the rationale of the company, what the future holds, and how this actually relates back to the strategy is really important also. So I would say you start with open communications, probably at a company level, and then I always recommend more of that team level communication and then opening the door for one-on-one conversations where employees are having a particularly difficult time accepting the change. After all of that, it actually goes to develop greater trust with employees. All right, let's talk about one of those scenarios that could that could potentially impact that last question I asked you here. And that is leveraging the international talent market to fill key roles is one way to keep people costs down. What are some of the benefits and complexities of building a global workforce in that manner? Yeah, so I'm going to say, let's make no mistake, hiring internationally when you want to do it the right way isn't actually less expensive. So I would suggest to most employers where you want to go out and you want to hire internationally, the reason for doing it is because there is an incredible population of untapped high quality talent that is available, not because you want to save money. Because when you do it well and you do it properly, you're investing not only in you know, hiring people to do the work, but you also want them to feel connected to the company so that they could perform their best work. And that requires for you to build a culture for them, help them to participate in things like benefits, in company events, et cetera, et cetera. Many companies think about the most difficult part of hiring internationally has to do with the time change and actually doing asynchronous work. But what I would say is, is that you need plans in place to mitigate risk and support employees internationally and in helping them to be fully productive. Also remembering that when you have employees in different cultures, different cultures have a very different relationship with work than maybe we do here in North America. And managers need to be trained to be receiving these employees, not only because they're working potentially asynchronously on off hours, but also because they communicate differently, because they have a very different expectation of their manager. And in order for this to be wildly successful and for you to get the very most out of your international talent, there needs to be some culture awareness about the different norms in different countries. Kim, the next couple of questions that we have for you are questions that we ask of all of our guests on the People in Performance podcast. So don't be afraid to mention a couple of things that perhaps you've already spoken about today, if it's pertinent to your answer. Uh, The first of the two questions goes as follows. In one minute or less, Kim, can you share one piece of advice or some direction that you were given by a mentor leader or a colleague that inspired you to perform at a higher level in your career? Absolutely. And that would be get your hands dirty. So regardless of your position or role, regardless of how senior or junior you are within an organization, everyone is there to ensure the success of the company in the long run. Roll up your sleeves, get into it, learn how it is that the business actually makes money if that means sitting with call center agents to really understand what the customer experience looks like, do it. If it's at a store level, get on a cash register, understand the experience of employees, and that will build your credibility with employees and peers, and also acts as an example for the rest of the organization. 
Love it. Thank you very much. Okay, the second of our two standard questions goes as follows. And don't worry, there's no time constraints. However, uh, this is supposed to be a 15 minute conversation. So don't go too long. Um, as follows. Uh, from a culture and people processes perspective, Kim, what does a high performing company mean to you? So high performing companies are made up of employees who are aligned to the mission and values of the organization. Because the values of the company are a reflection of their own personal values. Employees have choices. They can work anywhere. When they work where they believe in the mission and the purpose of the organization, and they believe that their behaviors are highly valued, and they enjoy the way that you work, they will perform their best work every day. High-performing companies have dedicated and engaged employees. People who are there not only because they get paid to be there. They have employees who believe in the vision and the purpose and want to be part of the journey and the solution. Last question for our listeners. First of all, we want to say thank you. But the question that we have for you is how can we learn more about you? Connect with me personally on LinkedIn. Check out my business website at kimtabachhr.com and check out some of my blogs. Wonderful. Well, that just leaves us to say for today, Kim, thank you very much for being our guest on the People and Performance Podcast. Thank you both so much. It was fun. Thank you for listening to the People and Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to like, comment and subscribe.